facilitate a great time for you there, connection with our online prayer team, but whatever way you're participating, we just want you to know that you're welcome and we're glad that you are. Um, I typically will uh, pray at this time, uh, and I'm going to do that, but I'm going to use an old prayer from kind of the mid to late 1200s by a woman named Gertrude. Uh, She came to be known as Gertrude the Great, but her real name was, she was known as Gertrude of Thuringen, um, and this is her prayer, so will you pray with me? O love, O God, you created me. O love, O God, you redeemed me. Fill me up and redeem for yourself in me whatever part of your love has fallen into neglect. O love, O God, you made me yours as in the blood of your Christ purchased me in your truth sanctify me. O love, O God, you adopted me as a daughter after your own heart fashion and foster me. O love, you chose me as yours, not another's. Grant that I may cling to you with my whole being. O love, O God, you loved me first. Grant that with my whole heart and with my whole soul and with my whole strength, I may love you. Amen. Um, we are in week four, as Brian mentioned, of the Lenten season, and uh, we started way back on March 12th with Ash Wednesday, and we're going all the way through up to Easter Sunday, which is April 16th. Mark your calendars as we have three services. We have a sunrise service at Magnuson, which I just want to highlight because there might be a polar dip. I don't know. Uh, that could happen. Um, I hadn't thought of it, but now it's really in my mind. Um, and then there's two services here at the church at 9 and eleven fifteen, and we're really looking forward to those. So What's that? Someone say something about a polar dip? Oh, okay, sorry. Man, I'm hearing it now. It's everywhere. Um, Okay, yes, okay. We got some people for it. All right. Yes, all right. Okay, let's talk. Anyone else? Get in the the discussion. Um, But... Uh, as we've notified before, the word Lent means springtime, uh, and it's kind of attached to this gardening and harvest theme, whereas most, a lot of us know as we plant a seed in the ground, it's underground, and it churns, and it moves, and it starts to grow, and then it breaks through the earth into the sun, and that sunlight is considered to be, that's like when it breaks through into Easter, um, and so we have had this quote that we have used that says, the Lent is meant to be the church's springtime, a time when out of the darkness of sin's winter, a repentant, empowered people emerges. And that has been our goal uh, and, and, and our, our longing is that in this time, uh, with, with, with all the things going on in our world, that God would be working in us and moving in us that we could emerge uh, this repentant and empowered people and really to be ready to engage Uh, with the world and everything that's going on. Um, And so this series we've been in is called Again and Again, and it's really this idea that uh, in Lent and when we read Scripture and we look at our own lives, we are reminded that again and again there is suffering and brokenness, there is doubt and lament, there is times we mess up, but again and again there is this uh, response from God uh, in all that of I choose you, I love you, I am with you. And so again and again, God breaks those cycles and offers a new way forward. And this theme provides a clear invitation into uh, following God in a time that I think is very unclear. Um, and, and so what we've gone through already is uh, the first week we looked at this idea of God meets us. Again and again, God meets us uh, in all the places we are, because that can change from day to day, moment to moment, and yet God meets us. 
And then we talked about how we are invited to listen again and again. We're invited to listen to both God and the people around us. And then last week, uh, we talked about how God shows us the way and that sometimes we think that that way is this really predictable path that we've always seen and we've always known. And yet we find in Jesus these times where Jesus flips things over, right? Leads us in a different way. And maybe there are some things that we are being called to engage with in that way, to change. Um, and so this has been a time of like digging and churning, I think. And today we're gonna explore this reality that again and again, God loves first, which sounds weird to say in some ways because if God loves first, how can it be again and again? Because there's only one first. But what we really mean by this is that again and again, we find that humanity is lost. And again and again, we experience pain, loss, and suffering, hatred, and violence, even though at times we're the source of those things. But what we can also say is that we experience that God loves in all those moments and God love first and every time we return to God that God loving first is a reality that is there there are lots of places in scripture we can go to explore this reality um, it's literally all throughout the Bible but I was thinking and praying and there was really one section of scripture that I landed on and that was in first John and first John is the it's one of three shorter letters that the Apostle John wrote. And I want to share this quote that was given by a guy named St. Jerome talking about John. St. Jerome was kind of like uh, 300s, but uh, this is what he wrote. Uh, In his old age, dear John was accustomed to say hardly anything more to his disciples than children love one another. Uh, John's disciples and hearers became so annoyed at this endless repetition that they asked him why he was saying the same thing to them, and he replied, because it is the Lord's command, and it suffices if this be done. One of the things that is clear is that John has experienced and known love. Right, that that is at the core of who he is. That if, if, if all he would really say and all he said like this is the Lord's command and it is sufficient if this is done to love one another. And so there's something there. Something in John that I want to explore. And when we look at his writing, I think we see some of this. Now, sometimes when we look at scripture there's this thing uh, where it's a concordance and it's just kind of like a big dictionary of all the words in the bible and you can say where's the word love you can open up and you can find all the uses of it and you might find a section that maybe the word love occurs a bunch of times in uh, and it might feel like oh that's really going to be a great section and it might be but it might not be you have to go investigate Uh, but what i found is in first john chapter 4 verses 7 through 21, which you can see here. We're, I'm going to read it in a sec, but I, this is just for a visual thing. The word love, it's about 324 words. The word love occurs 26 times. Um, and so it feels like this might be that good section. Uh, and so we're going to read it, and I want you to just notice the repetition, how it goes in there. Maybe there's some spaces, if you look, we'll talk about it in a second too. There's a spot right in the middle, a couple verses where love doesn't show up at all. Uh, and so we might want to figure out what that's about. But here, let's, uh, let's read. Again, this is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we, now, we know and rely on the love, of, the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. There's a lot of love happening in that passage, right? And there's this immediate connection between not just that God loves, but that God is love. And there's, there's a deep connection there. And I want to just look at really quickly. In verse 7, it says love comes from God. Verse 8, God is love. Verse 9, God showed this love. Verse 10, he loved us. Verse 11, God so loved us. Verse 12, his love is made complete in us. Verse 16, the love, of God, the love God has for us. Again, 16, God is love. And verse 19, that God first loved us. And so we see this developing idea God is the source of love. And we talk about this a lot here, right? That we believe that God exists in what's called the Trinity, that God is three and yet one. And it, then what that means when we say God is love is that it's not like God is loving or God has loved or God can love. It's his very identity that God is love. And in order for that to be true, God has to be a community. Love has to have another. It has to have an, a way to go. And so God exists as three in one. And one thing that I think is very cool in this passage, uh, so we notice that um, if we go all the way back here, all the red words, those are love. And you see a couple of verses in the middle where uh, love is not present. Uh, what's interesting is in that section, in the other previous sections, you have a lot about Jesus and God. Uh, but in that middle section, it says this. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his, he has given us of his spirit. And it's kind of like this Holy Spirit sandwich, if you will, right? You have all this stuff happening, but the engine kind of driving all that, the thing that empowers it in us is the Holy Spirit. And often gets left out when we look about this. So I want us to remember the presence of the Holy Spirit, the activation of love in our lives through the Holy Spirit that happens. So keep that uh, in, your, in your heart and mind. Um, so there is all this stuff about God loving, but then we have these verses about how God shows his love, right? And so in verse nine, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. Um, come back to me. Nope. Okay, Dan, everything down here just shut down, so it's up to you now. Uh, thanks. Uh, and verse 10 uh, 
This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So now we see some of the nature of this love. Not only is God is, that God is love, not only is God's nature a community, but it's something that God has given to humanity through an action that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world that we might live through him. What I want to point out here is that that living happens here and now. Sometimes we project it only into the future and we think, yeah, that life in Jesus, that full life in Jesus, I just got to get through this time so I can get to eternal life after I pass and after the world is remade and all that stuff. But this is really indicating that it's here and now. And sometimes I think that we, we do that. We project it into the future because right here and now we don't always feel that love. We don't always feel like I'm really moving in that love. I can sense that love. And it's actually much easier for us then to say, I'm just going to project that into the future instead of asking the hard question of God, where are you? God, why aren't you showing up? God, how come I can't feel you? What is happening? Because that starts to undermine and it feels like it's pulling the, the rug out from under some of our beliefs that we really hold dear. God's present all the time. I will never leave you or forsake you. Yet it feels like, how do we reconcile that? And so we hide. We hide in projecting it just into the future and saying, okay, I just got to get through this. I'm not going to really deal with what's going on right now. I'm going to focus on the future where everything's going to be better. And I think it's this hiding that actually keeps us from experiencing in a very full way the love of God and how the Spirit can empower us to love the people that we share spaces with. I want to take a look back, all the way back in the beginning of the Bible, uh, in the book of Genesis, to a time where humanity was living in uh, what we identify as the garden. Humanity's walking with God in the garden um, and working to steward and protect creation in the garden. And there's this sense of intimacy and wonder Uh, and then there's this moment though where humanity decides to try to seek wisdom on its own humanity walks a path away from God and it leads into separation um, from God now the last thing we read after creation has happened and everything's going well all this stuff is good the last thing we read about it in Genesis 2 25 it says we see uh, we see that Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame Okay, seems like an interesting way to end that. There's going to be a transition next into sort of the introduction of evil. But the author ends with Adam and Eve naked and feeling no shame. The very next chapter, Genesis 3, um, we discover that evil is not only present in the world, but that the separation between humanity and God is uh, unfolding. And in chapter 3, verse 7, it says that the eyes of both Adam and Eve were opened and that they realized that they were naked. And so it says they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So here again, we have the end of chapter 2, naked, but no shame. Genesis 3, now they're naked and they feel shame and they want to hide. If we go on to verses 8 through 10, it says, Then Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? 
And he answered, I heard you were in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And it says that God asked, who told you that you were naked? So here again, there's this, this idea of being uncovered and being hidden. Right, this space where being completely uncovered was not a thing to be concerned about at all, which is really very foreign to us. In, uh, in his book uh, called Searching for God Knows What, our author Donald Miller says, try to imagine yourself going into the, bar- the, the grocery store to buy barbecue sauce but being naked. He was like, you're not going to check on prices. You're not going to check. And I was like, I'm not going to even get into the store. How are you talking about even checking on prices? And, and it's actually a very common dream that people have about being somewhere and then realizing, oh, no, I'm not fully dressed for this event. Um, and that the immediate response for people is just this overwhelming sense of like, I've got to get out of here. Right? And so there's something about this. Right? But previous to evil entering in and sort of assisting mankind in stepping away from God, that wasn't a thing. One of the things that's interesting is that naked, the word naked in, uh, in the end of chapter 2 is, uh, it's a Hebrew word that is uh, pronounced irom, um, and it just means simply naked. Um, but the root word of it uh, is this uh, word iram, and it means subtle, right? So there's almost this sense of like, it wasn't even really a thing, right? It wasn't anything to be concerned about. But in chapter three, the word, it's still pronounced Irom, um, but it's spelled differently. Um, and it's used in other places like Ezekiel and Deuteronomy, and it denotes not only physical nakedness, but a sort of spiritual nakedness. That something has happened, that it's, it's not just that, that, that they realized they didn't have any clothes on, but that there was something they needed to hide, something they had done. And so I started to think about that. Are there times for us today where we feel like we need to hide things? Any of us feel like we're going into conversations walking on eggshells, like I can't say this or I can't say that, right? Or I don't go into those conversations at all. And sometimes it's appropriate. We're trying not to, to introduce things that are going to damage that relationship. But at other times we do it because we don't want someone to know what we believe or think. So what's the point in all this? The point is that when we know love, we won't be ashamed to be exactly who we are. That doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we don't have anything to work on. But it means that we are freed to be imperfect and completely loved by God who is love. If we go back to 1 John, we see that, again, God's love is shown by him sending his son Jesus into the world to be this atoning sacrifice for our sins. So it's in Jesus that we see that God is love and how God loves humankind and how God loves you, how God loves me. This is how we can see that God loves every human and that God loves each of us. God loved you first. God loved me first. God loved all of us, all of humanity first. It started in the garden and it continues day after day again and again. And when we add this quote from Paul, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.38, which says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God 
that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So not only has God loved us first and we encounter that again and again in everything we do, but we discover that nothing can separate us from that. And I don't know where you're at with things. If I'm honest, I don't always know where I'm at with things. (laughs) But wherever you are, I hope that you hear that today, that you are loved by God who loves you day in and day out, again and again, and that nothing can separate you from that love. This morning, for me, was a morning that tested that. I woke up, and at least from the wake-up point, things were going pretty well. Um, uh, That process was fine. Um, I had a couple of things I needed to do. Uh, I needed to put some slides together and do that kind of stuff, and... uh, and, and the night before, I had had this thought, I'm going to do that in the morning, which I'm learning more and more. That's a failing. Uh, that always spells failure. So it was true in college. It's still true today. If I ever decide, I'm going to get up early and do that, it doesn't usually work. Uh, but, uh, so things, but things were going okay. And then there were some tech issues that uh, I, had slaved, I had slaved. I had saved one of the PowerPoint uh, slides as, uh, with macros added. Uh, and so it wasn't showing up. In, uh, in Proclaim, the software. And so I was like, I redid that like 25 times um, and then finally realized that. And I was like, okay, that was an easy thing. And I was starting to feel myself getting a little amp and a little anxious and then got all that taken together. And it was probably like 9.15, uh, so significantly later than I'd like to be. Um, and uh, I was like, okay, so I gotta go. Uh, and I got up and I got all my stuff together and I was like, okay, get on my vest because my car keys are always in my vest pocket. Where's my vest? It's always in two or three spots, and it wasn't in any of those. I started to panic a little bit, okay? On a little bit of a schedule here. Got to be in church on time. Um, so I started looking, and you know when you look through all the places two or three times, and you start to feel like, I know I've looked here, but I'm going to do it again, because this is a place it always is. Um, it wasn't there, and, uh, and I ran down into our basement, did a quick glance, very unusual for it to be down there, but then I ran back upstairs. I was like going around. And I was like, wait, I have a motorcycle. I'll ride the motorcycle. Be awesome. Now, motorcycle hasn't, I haven't ridden it for quite a while. So I was like, usually when that happens, what it means is it'll start. I'll ride it usually to church. It hasn't been long enough for the battery to charge up. So when I go to start it after church, the battery will be, be dead. But I was like, that's not a big deal. I can navigate that. The big thing is getting there. So got all my gear on, pulled the bike out, got it out in front of the garage, nothing. Didn't start, not even a click. And I was like, okay. Took my helmet off, opened the garage door, turned it around, backed it in, took all my gear off, went inside, and I was like, okay, we're back to the vest. Got to find the vest. Uh, Texted Rich, trying to find my keys, not going well. Uh, Thankfully, everything was going well here, and lots of people apparently were praying for me, so that helped. Um, Angie came in the door, because she, uh, she had dropped Gianna off, uh, my oldest daughter, at her dance uh, class, and, um, and she had stopped by to get something, which I was really happy for, and I said, hey, and she was like, hey, and uh, so I explained everything, which was much shorter than what's happening now, but um, uh, so anyways, all that, and I could feel myself the whole time starting to hear this voice that was like, you kind of suck at this. Right? Really? I mean, is this really that difficult to have this together? I was like, 
I've been down this path before. I don't like this place. <laughs> this feels really bad. These are digging at things that go back 30, 40 years in my life. And you can feel the accusations, right? You're no good at this. Why are you even doing this? What are you going to do today? You're not going to make any difference for anyone. doesn't even matter. What, you know, look at the world. And it just started to get heavy. And I was like, well, you know what? I just got to go. Right? It doesn't matter. All that stuff doesn't matter. And so getting here, seeing all of you, smiling faces, Angie being thoughtful enough to kindly uh, drive me here, um, it was all very helpful. But all of those things bring shame, right? And I want to hide. That's not the option that God presents with perfect love, right? Because if we can somehow stand exactly who we are, naked before God, and not be ashamed because we are loved, and that perfect love that casts out fear, then we can find a freedom to do some different things. When we can be completely honest with God, knowing that we're invited into the family of the Trinity to live in that love, we'll also find out that we have a new capacity to love those around us. Because this life and loving people is very difficult. Frederick Buechner says this, a legalistic religion like the Pharisees is in some ways very appealing. All you have to do in any kind of ethical dilemma is look it up in the book and act accordingly. Jesus, on the other hand, says all you have to do is love your neighbors. That may seem more appealing still until in dilemma after dilemma, you try to figure out just how to go about it. The difficulties then increase when you realize that by loving God and your neighbors, Jesus doesn't mean loving as primarily a feeling. Instead, he, he seems to mean that whether or not any feeling is involved, loving God means honoring and obeying and staying in constant touch with God. And loving your neighbors means acting in their best interest no matter what, even if personally you can't stand them. And that applies to ourselves when we think about ourselves that way too. 1 John 4 721 really clearly points out that the natural outcome of having been loved this way by God will be that we will love others as well. Like I kind of gave you that rundown earlier. There's a similar one here that verse 7 says, let us love one another. Verse 8 talks about everyone who loves. Verse 11, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, if we love one another, God lives in us. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Verse 21, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now this uh, came up for me last Wednesday in our midweek prayer and worship time, so a little plug for that. Um, it's just a great time. So if you can, whether it's online or, or in person, uh, it's worth attending. Uh, Brian was leading us, and there was an open time where we invited to pray for someone out loud uh, if we chose to do so. But at this moment, we were praying specifically for the people involved uh, in the war against the Ukraine. Um, and we were praying for peace and praying for violence to end. And in my heart, something happened. And I thought about Vladimir Putin. And I could feel the Holy Spirit inviting me to pray for Vladimir Putin. And I could not do it. I didn't want to do it. And all of a sudden, I was thinking about the story in the Old Testament about the prophet Jonah, who's instructed to go to Nineveh and prophesy against the Ninevites that God is going to destroy them unless they repent. But Jonah doesn't want to go because he knows that there's a chance that they might repent and that God would save them. 
And I was really trying to ignore this because I could tell where it was going. And I realized I didn't want to pray for Vladimir Putin because I knew there's a possibility that he could repent of the horrific things that he has launched and he has participated in, and I was not actually okay with that. I wanted Vladimir Putin to have to deal with the consequences of what he's done, and I didn't want him to be able to kind of get away with it because he somehow responds to God's love. And so when it came time to pray out loud, I didn't pray directly for Vladimir Putin, but I prayed for those who were instigating and initiating this violence, that their hearts would change. And we have, in large part, thanks to a lot of people, but I think Brian was the first one who really initiated this uh, kind of repetition of this uh, verse from Isaiah that talks about um, turning swords into plowshares, right? That there'll be this time when this happens. And so I had this picture in my mind of Vladimir Putin actually taking apart real missiles, cutting the tubes in half and turning them into planters and planting gardens in the Ukraine. And for a moment, I believed it. And I felt a freedom like I have rarely felt in my life. And the anxiety and fear and everything else that I was feeling was gone because I knew that I had experienced love in a way that allowed me to love. And it didn't mean that I gave in to whatever Vladimir Putin is doing. I didn't in any way support or condone any of that. But what I did and what I do believe is that Jesus came and died so that each person could experience the love of God and that that love is infinitely more powerful than the power that people are using in our world and the lies that people are telling and the destruction and the hatred and the fear that people are using. Yeah, but the love of God is just more than that. And it's being loved in this way that allows a person, I think, to both stand up against what is evil and against the people who perpetrate and participate in evil and at the same time extend love somehow. And this is what God invites us to. I want to invite the worship team up. Um, in just a moment, I'm going to ask a couple questions. I'm going to pray. The team's going to play instrumentally um, and uh, give us a moment of reflection, uh, and then they will lead us in a closing song and a benediction. Um, but I do have three questions that I want to ask. One is, how have you experienced love recently? And I just want you to remember it and reflect on it for just, just a moment, especially when we go into the instrumental time. Just just allow yourself to kind of sit in that for a moment. Remember that moment. Place yourself back in that situation. How have you experienced love recently? Two, do you have any practices that keep you connected with God? If not, you just did one in the previous question, right? Remembering and reflecting on love in the world. If God is love, and I believe that's true and that God's the source of love, then whenever love happens in the world, that's the presence and movement of God. So remembering that is a way to connect with God. And then lastly, have you had moments where the love of God has facilitated you loving someone else? 
It doesn't have to be someone who you really didn't think it was possible to think anything positive for. It could just be anyone. But, but has, do you make a connection with God's love enabling you to love someone else? Let's pray. God, I do, um, I give you thanks for this day. I give you thanks for our time together. And, and Lord, I continue to lift up the people in the Ukraine and I continue to pray against the act of war that is being initiated against them. And I pray that you would foil it. I pray that you would stop it. I pray that you would shut it down like this, however you need to do it. And at the same time, God, I acknowledge in my heart that I have thought violence against people. Lord, I have thought ill of people. And so, Lord, I pray, add myself into that prayer that you would stop me. You would transform me. You would help my heart to grow and see you in ways and to know your love in ways that would enable me not to participate in those things, however they've expressed themselves. And I pray that for our church and for each person here. So, God, there is such good news in hearing how much you love us. And Lord, what an amazing transformation that can happen into being able to, to walk out and be people who extend that love to others. I pray, one, that we believe it and that we believe that it can make a difference in our world today. And that it's not just some undercurrent that is to only be talked about at two in the morning or something. Because we watch that happen with a person named Nicodemus in Scripture. And at the end of your life, we see that Nicodemus has actually become close to you and is working to, to, to help care for you. So Lord, even in that, if we do come at the cover of night, I pray that we would find ourselves in the light. Uh, yeah, Jesus, thank you for your love. Holy Spirit, move in us and lead us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.